You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me today to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 1. 1 Timothy, chapter 1. We're going to be starting a series through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, also the book of Titus. These three books in the New Testament are often referred to as the pastoral epistles, letters written to individual men that were pastoring and shepherding churches in the early church. Most most of the letters that we read in the New Testament are actually written to churches, written to the congregations, but these letters are written specifically to leaders, men that are leading congregations, overseeing churches. And it's been in my heart now for some weeks, been praying and thinking about the next books that we would study together. And this has kind of come to my heart. And I believe the Lord wants to speak to us. You say, well, you know, these are written to pastors, but they have great relevance and insight really for the whole church. Because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, what, what does the Lord want to do today? What is God up to in the earth today, and how does He want to lead churches? What is His desire for church? We know that we come to church. We, we have this sense that this is the proper uh, Christian uh, journey to, to, together to come and, and gather, sing, and study the Word, and that's true, but it seems that God has such a purpose and mission for the church, not just the global church, but each and every local church, including this one. And I guess what's in my heart, and this will be a little different today, we'll just be kind of introducing some of the the text and talking about Paul and Timothy, their relationship a little bit. I'd like to give a little of my own testimony, how the Lord brought me to this church and how I ended up in this community serving the Lord. But what I'd like to sow in your heart is, is introduce into your thinking that your Christian life is more than just your personal relationship with God, you and God journeying through life together. Now, it is certainly that, but it's more than that. God has called you to himself for relationship, but he has also placed you in church, in a family, in a body of believers for a specific mission and purpose in the earth. There's strength in our gathering. There is mission and purpose and destiny for us together. Yes, individually, God has planned for your life. God loves you, each and every one. He knows your heart. He desires to work in your life. But part of that purpose, part of that work is to connect you with what the Bible calls the church. Ecclesia is the Greek word. Those, uh, the called out ones that assemble together. We are the church of the living God here today. We are the church of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're individual with him in relationship, but together we have a calling, something that we're to do with our gen- in our generation, in our time, something to represent, something to be kind of focused on. And I think that can get lost sometimes. We're so busy living our own Christian life. Church is just kind of the the weekly gathering where we get a little more instruction and get a little recharge and then back to our real life. But there is something that corporately we need to be vested in thinking about praying. 
I think we've seen it. We've certainly tasted it in, in our time as, as a church. We, we've seen how the Lord has used us as a ministry in the local community. We've been able to impact for the gospel lives. Many of your lives and families have been touched. And it comes through not just individual relationship, but the, the corporate reach that we have as a church. And that's what I'd like you to be thinking about as we go forward in the weeks to come. God has gathered us together for such a time as this. We're living in very interesting times. We're living in times when truth is hard to be found, and yet we're called to represent the truth. We see even in churches today a, a, a deviation, a, a, a straying from foundational biblical truth, wanting to be more like the culture, wanting to be more relevant maybe. Maybe the motives are good, but, but the practice becomes bad when they move away from God's intended purpose and design for the church. It's His church. Ultimately, we are here for Him, and we are here to be used by Him. And so this is what I hope to sow into your heart today. And I want to suggest that you're not here by accident it's not some coincidence that you just happened to be here at this church. Now, I know we've got a few first-time visitors here today. I don't believe you're here by accident either. God has brought our lives together as God is always working in our lives. I mentioned today that this is our, my wife and I's 34th wedding anniversary. And I look back, and, you know, I'm a little bit sentimental, I guess, today and reflective today, so bear with me and don't let me indulge with me as I share a little bit of our story. We met, Tony and I, we met in the junior high choir where we attended junior high public school. She was 12, cute as a button, and I was the older man of 13. <laughs> and we started singing together. And I got to, you know, you don't, you just, you don't think that way when you're, you know, 12 and 13, but who would have ever known what God had destined, what God had planned? It would be in high school, we would continue to sing in choirs and get to know one another. And then, of course, in my senior year, she was a junior, we began to, to date and we became Christians during that time in high school, independently of one another, but then we kind of found each other. And I was very interested in, you know, meeting a Christian girl, which wasn't that easy in a secular high school, even back in my time. And I can remember one case uh, which really kind of brought, brought my heart towards Tony. We were uh, singing in the choir, and we were rehearsing in the gym. You know, it was a big concert the choirs were getting ready to do, and there were various choirs singing. She sang in a choir that I didn't sing in, and then we sang in some common choir also. But they were rehearsing, and I was kind of goofing off out in the hallway with my buddies, waiting for our turn to rehearse. And then they began to sing this song and play this song that they were rehearsing, and it was this old gospel tune. Maybe some of you remember Andre Crouch, but he had this song called My Tribute back in the day. And it was this beautiful Christian lyrics, and I'm thinking, wow, they're going to sing this Christian song at a secular school? This is awesome. And then I heard the soloist begin to sing, this female soloist, and her voice was just amazing, powerful. I'm thinking, who has the courage to sing that song with that voice? Here's some of the lyrics. 
How can I give thanks for all the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. To God be the glory for the things he has done. With his blood he has saved me. With his power he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. If you've ever heard that song, it's quite a building, gospel, powerful song. And I came out of that hallway to look around the corner to see who was singing it. And there was little 17-year-old Tony singing to the Lord with her, heart ra- her hands raised and her heart just singing to the Lord. And I got to tell you, at that moment, I thought, wow, that is impressive. I'm really getting a lot more interested in this one, Lord. And uh, it was, of course, the beginning of what became our marriage and life together. But, you know, God saw something, you know, for me, for her. You know, we didn't, we never imagined what God ultimately would be doing, but somehow that music would be a part of our life. We would sing in worship ministry. That's how I got started in ministry as a worship leader and as my wife there at my side singing. And even now as I pastor, what a blessing to have my wife and her gift serving and functioning in the body. But God saw all that. God wove all that together. You see, our life wasn't just about two people finding each other and building a life together. It was about God's kingdom being furthered in our lives together, partnering with one another in the kingdom. And that's, that's really what church is about. It's more than just individual lives trying to find their way in God. It's about a together family that we can be effective for the kingdom, for the gospel. God wants to use our lives. Long journey, as you can imagine, 34 years of history, some ups and downs. I fell away from the Lord in the very early years of marriage, got entangled in some sinful things and had to come back to the Lord and repair my life. Thank God for his mercy and a godly pastor who discipled me and a very loving and patient wife who stood by me. God brought my life back to him, but I got to tell you, I really never imagined ministry would be something that I could ever do again. I just kind of shelved all that and worked in the family business for many, many years. Well, Tony would become ill during the years of our marriage. We had four children at that time. She became ill. It was a two-year time where she was struggling with health. And it really reordered our priorities during that time. It was quite a crisis for us. She was, it was a life-threatening circumstance. But God delivered and God brought her through miraculously. We saw him heal. We saw him work. But I'll tell you, it really reset our hearts. And about that time, we, we were looking for a church. We had moved and looking for a place to fellowship. And I walked into Calvary Chapel La Mirada, where my high school buddy was pastoring a work. Pastor Brian, many of you know him. He's, he's ministered here before. When I saw him behind the pulpit, it just something in my own heart, my own calling, that those things that God had dropped into my heart that I had suppressed and hidden away for many, many years, all of it just came up back to life. And it began my journey back not only to the Lord, I was walking with the Lord at that time, but my journey back to ministry, that sense of calling. And it was through the life of that church that God really began to cultivate ministry in my heart. 
God works in the church. God works through the church. Our lives are healthy spiritually in the church. Many people today, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, and that's true. But if you want to thrive as a Christian, if you want to get connected to purpose and ministry and and calling, these things come through the life of church, through the life of the church that God places you in, plugs you in. And so this is how it worked in my life. And I began to pursue that calling. And then it was eventually time to come and plant a church. So this September will be 12 years since we planted this work up in Monrovia, this Doherty community, you know, the 210 corridor. We've been all over the place in these 12 years. But it was just a handful of us, Tony, my wife and I, just coming and starting a, a Sunday morning service and what God has done over these 12 years. We could have never imagined, we could have never even fathomed that God would produce such good fruit, and we've seen lives changed, families touched. Many of you are the fruit of what God has done through this work. I can take no credit. We came up not knowing, we came up without any understanding other than to just obey God by faith. And he's done what he's done, but he's done it in the church. This is where ministry has really occurred in my life. It's in the community of believers. And that's what I want to sow into your heart today. Are you looking for more of the Lord in your life? Are you needing a, a sense of calling and ministry purpose? You're, you're a Christian. You're enjoying the, the fruit of being forgiven and knowing God. But there's something more, something nagging down in your heart. Lord, I I want my life to count for the kingdom. I sense a calling, a purpose. Not all are called to pastor or full-time ministry, but all are called to minister and be effective in their generation. I want to submit to you that it's in the local church where those things will be discovered and those things will come to life. This is my testimony. This is the testimony of Scripture. And this is why I want to look at these these books and chapters together in the future because it's just inspiring as to what God is planning and what God is doing through the life of his church. You know, the church was born when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. Let me just remind you, you're there in 1 Timothy, and we're going to just look at the introduction. All of this is to kind of sow, uh, I hope, a, a spirit of of a focus for us going forward. But let me introduce it to you by just reminding you some of the things that were going on in the early church. That's our model, isn't it? How do we do church? What should church look like? What should we be focused on? We look to the Word. We look to the model of the book of Acts. What did God do? What did the Holy Spirit orchestrate? He hasn't changed. Oh, yeah, the culture's changed, and there may be certain things that in our culture that are available, like technology, but, but ultimately, God has a model for church. And we want to discover that, and we want to be in, this, in the middle of that. We want to see the Holy Spirit guiding us as well. We don't want to be doing this on our own. We don't want to be reinventing our own ideas. We want to see what, what God is looking to bless. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, Peter stood up and preached to the people that had gathered, and 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ that day. It says in Acts 2 and verse 40, with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. 
Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And Acts 2.42, the next verse, listen, it tells very clearly. This is the simple model that God instituted in that early church. Acts 2.42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, and fellowship in the breaking of bread. We're going to be doing that here today. We're going to be breaking bread, the Lord's table, celebrating communion, remembering Jesus in our fellowship together and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And with that model, that simple focus and model, God began to work and add daily to the church. The church grew. The church exploded. People were sent out. That was all in Jerusalem. That's where it was birthed. From there, people got saved, went out to other cities, to their, back to their communities, and fellowships were, were started. People gathered, began to assemble. Churches were planted, and the church began to grow. This was the model. Pretty simple. Study the Word. Come together in fellowship. Celebrate the Lord's table and pray. And let's see what God can do. We see what God did. You're there in 1 Timothy. Now, let me give you a little background into how this letter was written, why it was written. We'll look at that and we'll finish here today. The church is born. People are getting saved and fellowships and churches are starting in communities. The Apostle Paul, you may remember him originally known as Saul, he was a persecutor of the church. He, he didn't like Christians. He thought they were some kind of a distortion from the true Jewish faith, and he persecuted them unto death. But the Lord saved him. He, on the road to Damascus, he, Jesus appeared to him in a vision. He gave his life to Christ, and a number of years would go by, but he would begin to dis, you know, be discipled by the Lord, and ultimately, a, a friend of his, a Christian friend by the name of Barnabas, went to get him from his hometown, Paul. He was living in Tarsus. He brought him to a city called Antioch. This was a city outside of Israel and Jerusalem, but there was a church there, a group of Christians that were gathering there. And that from there, and we'll read about that in a minute, he was sent out on missionary journeys, him and Barnabas. And then they went out and they preached the gospel in various cities. And that's the whole book of Acts. You can read the whole story. It's fascinating. And the Holy Spirit working miraculously as they went and they traveled. And they were persecuted, even put in prison, beaten. Paul left for dead at one time. I mean, he put his life on the line to share this gospel message. But as he went, what he did in those communities was he established churches. And then what we have in the New Testament, the letters, you know, we call it the book of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Corinthians. These were all letters that Paul wrote to those churches that were planted through his missionary work. But not only did he write letters to those churches, he also sent assisting ministers to go and help pastor those churches for a time, for a season, to get them secure doctrinally, to get them walking in the truth that God desired for his churches. So this is the ministry of Paul, and this is what comes to us in 1 Timothy. This is one of the letters. 
He's got his assistant out there at a church, and he's going to write to him, giving him some instruction. And that's all we'll have time for is the introduction today. But look at it with me, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope, to Timothy, a true son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. So here's the setting. Paul's writing to his true son in the faith, someone that he personally led to faith in Christ. He's gone on into the region called Macedonia, and he's left his protege, Timothy, there in Ephesus to take care of church business. And now he's writing to give some of that instruction and to encourage him in the work. Ephesus was a hub city in the day. It's modern-day Turkey, but it was strategically positioned on both a lake, or, excuse me, a sea and a river. So it became a very commercial city, a wealthy city. The ruins are very impressive. You can go today and see ancient Ephesus. And just the ruins, you can see it was a wealthy, popular, well-populated city. And God planted a church there. That's one of the places Paul stopped. He was there for three years planting that work. And from that church, all kinds of hub churches, uh, that was the hub, all kinds of uh, smaller churches spun off. And so Paul has left one of his best guys there to keep track of that ministry and make sure it stays on course. But Paul was originally sent out by his home church, the church, as I mentioned earlier, in Antioch. And you can read about that in Acts 13. I won't take the time to read it now, but they were sent out by their church and it says that the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas out on their first missionary trip. And they went on their trip to various cities. And one of the places they stopped was a kind of this twin city known as Derby and Lystra. These were sister cities very close to one another. And there they preached the gospel. And Timothy lived in that city. He was a young man at the time. And this is Paul's first time through going on his missionary journey. And he shares the gospel. Timothy, his mother... And his grandmother all come to faith. The mother and grandmother were Jewish. The father was Greek. He was a Gentile, not part of the Jewish. So Timothy was both Gentile and Jew. But his Jewish mother and grandmother and himself came to faith in Christ. We don't know anything about his dad. Most likely he did not come to faith. But Timothy did. And then a few years later... Paul wanted to go back out on the mission road, and he stopped through these cities again, visiting the churches that had been planted. And when he comes back through Derby and Lystra, Timothy has come on the radar at the local church. And I'll read this to you. You don't need to turn, but out of Acts 16, it says that he came, Paul, to Derby and Lystra, and behold... A certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. This is how Timothy comes 
to be this assistant minister, the Apostle Paul. He comes to faith, and he just begins to be faithful in his local church. He just gets on the radar. The, the brethren of the church are just noticing Timothy. Who is this young guy? He's on fire for the Lord. He's serving God. He's just he's all about Jesus. He's come to faith, and we, we see his character. He's really, really faithful. And so when the Apostle Paul comes back through just to see how the churches are doing, all the brethren, the, the guys in the church, oh, Timothy, man, what a, he's a young man, and the Lord's just really using him. Well, Paul decided, you know what? I need a young man like that on the minist- in, the, in the mission field. Why don't you come with me? And he signs Timothy up, and then Timothy becomes his faithful ministry partner for many, many years. We see it all through the New Testament. When Paul writes his letters while he's imprisoned at Rome, Paul and Timothy writing. Timothy was there helping, supporting. We see him not only, Timothy, traveling with Paul and being an assistant in the ministry, but we see Paul sending Timothy. He sends him to Corinth. I'll read just a few highlights. 1 Corinthians 4.17, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy was sent to help take care of things in Corinth. He sends him to Philippi. Philippians 2.19, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Already there was selfish and insincere motives creeping into ministry. Paul says, I can't trust everybody, but I trust Timothy. You know of his proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He would also send him to Thessalonica, another local church that Paul had opportunity to plant as he was preaching the gospel in his travels. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. So we see the relationship between Paul, the apostle, and Timothy, his assistant. It's a close relationship that started when Timothy was a young man and came to faith through Paul's message. And then because of his faithfulness in his own local church, Paul then kind of recruits him into the ministry and he becomes a pastor and minister in many local churches. And we see here in 1 Timothy that he's in the church at Ephesus, the hub church in Asia Minor, the important church there because so many other churches branched off from there, and Paul has left really one of his best men there at Ephesus. That's the setting for the letter, and that's why there's going to be, I think, some rich truth for us. Paul is going to be writing instruction about church and what the church is supposed to be doing, what things should be taking place in church. I think that's worthy, worthy of our study. I mean, why are we gathering? Does, is it more than just us kind of going through a religious duty, getting a little word for the week? And Now, I don't want to discourage that. We do need a word for the week. I do think there is a, a Christian discipline and duty of coming together, but I think God has even more, and I want you to start thinking about that with me. Lord, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to do with our church, your church? And what's my part? How can I 
be a contributor in this work because it seems to me, Lord, as I look through the Scripture, as I study how you work, you work in and through local churches. It's, it's not a secret. It's not a mystery. It's just really simple, a simple model. God works at the local level at, amongst lives connected together in church. Now, you're there in 1 Timothy 1. Turn with me to chapter 3. We'll look at verses 14 and 15, because I, and we'll close with, with just those, that verse and some thoughts, because I think this is kind of the nugget of, of uh, summary for the whole letter. We kind of get Paul, Paul's understanding of why he writes this letter. So 1 Timothy 3, verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So here's Paul's intention of writing. Timothy, I left you there to give instruction and to watch over this church. I'm hoping to come soon. I'm hoping that I'll be there myself with you. But I'm writing this letter in case I don't get there in time. Paul didn't, was never sure about when he would arrive. So, many oppo- so much opposition, so many other things going on. But he writes this letter to ensure that Timothy will have his instruction even if he doesn't arrive anytime soon. And he says, I'm writing so that you'll know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. So we'll get instruction on how pastors, how leaders, how ministry should be handled in the local church. But then he tells us what he sees the local church to be. It is, first of all, the house of God. That could also be translated household of God. The church of God, it's God's family. These are God, this is God's household. It's important that you know how to conduct yourself in God's house with God's family, right? I mean, when we were raising kids, we had house rules. They didn't always get followed, but they were there, and that was, they all knew what they were. Look, hey, that's a house rule. You can't do that. Includes, you know, certain boundaries, curfews, certain, you know, chores, certain, you know, levels of respect and things that you expect from your children growing up in your home. These are house rules. Paul is saying, look, God's house has some rules and you need to know them so your conduct can be proper because God wants us to be a family. You've seen, have you ever seen a household that doesn't have rules and, and, and everybody's just kind of making their own rules? That, that family is a mess. I don't mean to pick on anybody here. I'm not looking at anybody, but you know, hey, you may have one of those families. This could be just a simple idea of setting some house rules in place. And so this is the way it should be in church as well. God's house, God's family. We're God's children. When God received you into a relationship with himself, and that happened whenever you put your faith and trust in his love for you, expressed through Jesus Christ. When you came to faith, you and I, when we, dis- when we realized God loves me, and he sent his son to die on the cross for my sin, and when you believed that and received that into your heart, you became, as Jesus describes, 
born again. A spiritual life began within. And it brought you into a new relationship with him. Your sins were forgiven. You're no longer guilty or condemned before him. It's not that you have no sin, but those sins are cleansed. Those sins are taken away. Jesus paid for it at the cross. Jesus bore the, the, the penalty. And you now have this relationship with him. But not only that relationship with him, the Bible says that you were adopted into his family. It's not just a good relationship with God. You become part of the family of God. And Paul is letting Timothy know that's what church is. Church is the family of God, the household of God. So when you came to faith in Christ, your relationship with Christ automatically connects you in relationship with the family. Welcome to the family. You're in. You're in through Christ. Yeah, I don't like this family very much. I just want to know Jesus, but no, this is his family. This is how the work of God is furthered in the earth through the family of God, the house of God. And he says, which is the church of the living God. There's that word again, ecclesia, which is the gathering of called out ones of the living God. That's what church is. That's what the church is. This church, the global church, we are those that gather together that belong to God. We're called out by Him through our relationship with Him in Christ, and He brings us together to gather together, to assemble together. The Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's important to be together in church. I'm glad you're here, but not just because I'm glad you're here, because we need to be here. This is what God uses to further His kingdom in our lives. Our lives are spiritually nourished and strengthened, but then also through our lives, through our church, into the community, as a light, as a beacon of truth, we now represent in the earth that needs to know and hear and see Jesus. This is our mission, and that's what he closes with here, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. We live in a world where truth is very subjective. We have truth being redefined. We have all kinds of moral principles being redefined. We live in a generation where anything goes and everything should be allowed to go. And yet, the church, the church of the living God, we have a mission to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The truth of the gospel concerning Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the writings of the Bible. It sounds very un, uh, outdated. It sounds very old-fashioned, but this is our role. Yeah, but it's just so unpopular today. Maybe we should do church differently. Maybe our, our mission should be something else. Let's redefine uh, truth, and let's kind of make it more compatible with culture and, and, and you know, be more winsome with people that people won't be offended and, and think that we're somehow kind of narrow-minded and rigid. But you see, truth is rigid, isn't it? 
Truth is truth. You can believe it or not believe it. You can argue with it. You can debate it. But there is real truth somewhere, and that truth is the truth. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Either the Word of God is indeed the Word of God, and this gospel is indeed the power of God unto salvation, or it isn't. If it isn't, then just make church whatever you want it to be. But if it is, and if God has entrusted this truth to us, the pillar and ground of truth, the pillar, that which holds up truth, the ground, the foundation, the truth that cannot be changed, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Do you see that the church has a mission in the earth in every generation? That we have a responsibility to be the, the custodians of God's truth, His Word, the gospel, the saving message of Jesus, that God loves and God saves and God is interested in redeeming lives to himself even today. You were created with purpose, with hope, with destiny, and it can only be found in Christ. That's a message that's not popular right now, but it's the, it's the truth. And we as the church, we have to be the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is not the source of this truth. Nor are we the modifiers of this and reinventors and determiners of the truth. Rather, we function as the custodian of and the witness to the truth. This is a high calling we have, brothers and sisters. You and I have a, have a role to play in our generation. And I believe that God wants to work in this church. I believe God wants to work through this church. I've seen it. I've seen what God has done in just these short years. And I know that God is not finished. And I want to, I guess I want to recruit you to the cause. I know you're believers. Most of you are here. You believe. You love the Lord. And I think you're here because you do feel connected in some way. But I guess I'm asking you to look to mission. What about God's calling for us as a people? I want to learn, just like Paul told Timothy, I want to learn how to conduct myself in God's house. And I want to learn how to be the church of the living God. And I want to learn how to be the pillar and support of truth in my time, in my generation. I want this church to count. I want this gathering, this fellowship to be legit. I want to represent Christ to a world that needs Jesus. How about you? This is why God's brought us together. I kind of shared all my personal story with you a little bit because as I look back, as I reflect, I see, God, you were always working towards this purpose, this calling. Everything you did, I can look back all the way to junior high and see the hand of God. Even before I knew what was going on, he knew what was going on. He was bringing my life with people to the place where he could affect his kingdom. Because in the end, that's all that matters. In the end, did I live as a faithful servant of my King and my Savior? Will I hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? A significant part of that, not the only exclusive, but a significant part of that is how I functioned in the local church. 
the church of the living God, did we represent? Are we a, a pillar and ground for the truth? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity just to introduce what I think you're leading us to as a church. Nothing can happen corporately, God, until things happen personally. Sounds like a good plan, Lord. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to be a part of your church, if that's how you're furthering your kingdom and the gospel and the earth. Lord, we want to be a part of that. But Lord, we recognize that to be a part of the church, we must first be a part of Christ individually, having come to faith, having come to a personal relationship with you. As our heads are bowed here, I just... Two things I I want you to consider. I I think it might be time for some of us to grow up, to, to get beyond just trying to live Christianity for myself and my own personal need and crisis and, and, and issues, and, and not to say that God doesn't meet them there, meet you there. But I think God has more than just that for you and me. And it may be time to start thinking about being a part of a of the work of the kingdom. Jesus said, don't be entangled with the worry and anxieties of life. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All the other things will be taken care of if you will align your heart with the work of God in the earth. Consider, consider the church, consider your connection, your part, your place. I pray, God, that you would stir our hearts in this way. And as our heads are bowed just before we partake of the Lord's table together, I do want to pray for anyone here that may need to respond to the Lord in a personal way. It may be that you are here and you do not have that relationship with God. The idea of belonging to his family begins first with belonging to him. And it may be that you need to simply come and receive the love and mercy of God and say, Jesus, I need to receive you into my life. I want to be a part of the family, but first I I need my sins forgiven. I need relationship with you, the Father, before I can have relationship with brothers and sisters in the church. I, I need my relationship with you first. And that comes through faith in Christ. I'd love to pray for you if you're here today and want to receive his love, his mercy, and receive Christ. Maybe you're here today and you need to recommit your heart to the Lord. Rededicate your life to him. You're here and you, and, and you recognize, Lord, I'm, I'm not really living on mission. I'm just kind of living selfishly as a Christian. I'm, I'm not really thinking about your call or your purpose or, or my place and part in, in, in the work. And, and I, I want to commit my life to that. I want to be a part of the pillar and ground of truth in my generation. Lord, weave me in, include me, count me in, Lord. And I know that I need to recommit my own heart and give my life to this. And I'd love to pray for you. If you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the very first time, or you need to recommit your life to Christ. I'd ask you just to raise your hand, and I'll pray for you before we partake of communion here today. I bless you, the aisle in the very back as well.
couple hands up here. Lord bless you. Over there on the aisle, Lord bless you. Any others? The Lord speaking to you. In the very, very back. God bless you. You feel like you're on the outside. God bless you. Another hand. You feel like you're on the outside, and, and God bless, another hand on the aisle, and, and you realize you, you need to be a part of what God's doing. You've just been on the kind of the circumference of it all, on the, on the, and time to get completely committed to Him and watch what He wants to do and allow Him to work. Any others? A number of people responding just before I pray. Anybody else? God bless you. Well, we're coming to the Lord's table. This is the place to receive mercy and forgiveness and grace. That's what we're celebrating here today. Just before I pray for these, anyone else? I see another hand over there on the very outside aisle. There on the aisle too. Dead center, God bless you. So, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, I believe it's your love that's touching them. I believe it's your grace that's on them. You're speaking to them. You're saying, I love you. You're saying, I've got a, I've got a place for you in my kingdom work and my, my plan of not only saving you, but allowing your life to be glorified, to glorify me in your life. And so, Lord, for these hearts, I pray they would just come honestly, sincerely, and say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me today, wash me of my sin. Not only do I want relationship with you, but God, bring me into the family. I want my life to be about your kingdom, about your work, and help me to be a part of the things that you're wanting to do in my life, in this church, in this time. We receive it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.